What do you call a boomerang that does not come back? A stick. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability, episode 99. I am your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Well, my birthday was last week. It was on September 23rd, and it was a Thursday. So I went to work. <laughs> and my lovely coworkers got a beautiful three layer chocolate cake for me at lunchtime. It was divine. <laughs> it was so, so good. They did an excellent job. And for my gift, they got me a pair of darn tough socks that have vegetables on them. <laughs> which is perfect for me <laughs> because I'm a dietitian and I really do love my veggies. So I'm very, very excited. If you've not heard of Darn Tough Socks, they are a company here in America. They're made in America. I believe they're out in Vermont and their socks are a lifetime guaranteed, which is why they are darn tough. If anything ever happens to your sock, like a hole or a snag shrinks, stretches out, whatever, they will replace it for free, which is really cool. And my coworkers also got me a book called The Self-Sufficient Backyard. If you haven't heard of this book, it has been all over my Facebook, and so you're welcome. The Self-Sufficient Backyard is now about to pop up all over your Facebook. <laughs> because Facebook is creepy like that. But it does seem really, really cool. And my coworkers know that I'm really into sustainability, and they picked perfect, perfect gifts for me. And then I came home, and my husband also did very well. He picked out a new board game called Travelers of the World, and gifted tickets to a haunted house. Ooh, yeah. I'm so, so excited. The usual birthday traditions did ensue. We had cake and ice cream. We wore the hats. We sang the song. It was, it really was a very good day. And I did notice something. We have been using the same birthday decorations for every single birthday in our house for three years now at this point, and I got them from the Dollar Tree. So <laughs> they are definitely intended for single use and then trash, and I didn't want to throw them away and have been reusing them every time. However, the quality is not the same from the Dollar Tree, which means the H has been ripped off of the banner, the elastic string for the hats keeps breaking, and the candle, I just have one candle that says happy birthday, the wick actually ran out. It didn't go all the way through the candle. It was only just a very short wick. So halfway through singing it to me, the candle went out on its own because the wick literally ended. <laughs> Therefore, I am now on the hunt for better quality decorations made out of fabric and cloth intended to be reused over and over and over. And I've only gone to two stores since then and neither one of them had it. They both had stuff that was definitely designed for single use and to be trashed. So if anybody knows of some high quality happy birthday banners or hats that I can reuse over and over and over, that's their intended purpose to be reused over and over. Let me know where to go to find those. That would be great. And share it with everybody. And let me know by emailing it to me, which is Kaylin, K-A-Y-L-I-N at startingsustainability.com. Or you can go to the Facebook group, Starting Sustainability. You can make a post about it. You can just direct message me, whatever you're more comfortable with. We also have our Instagram, which is starting underscore sustainability. You can go there and reach out to me that way. Whatever social media you are comfortable with, let me know because the next birthday in this household is in February. So I have between now and February to get it figured out. 
Speaking of celebrations, this past weekend we went to a Chris Stapleton concert. Why? Because that is one of my husband's favorite musicians, and that was his gift that I gave him for Father's Day. He got tickets to Chris Stapleton, so he had to wait a few months to go to the concert because it was September 25th, but it was totally well worth the wait, and we had a blast. And the last thing that I wanted to mention was this past weekend, I got to check off an item that's been on my bucket list for 2021. I took a foraging class. Yes, <laughs> finally, and I'm so excited. And I learned a lot. And yes, I will be sharing what I learned in a future episode. For today's episode, I was lucky and fortunate enough to land an interview with Natalie Isaacs. She is the CEO of One Million Women, which is the group that I started following a few years ago and got inspired by how easy it was to be sustainable. And that inspiration helped push me and give me confidence to create my own podcast where I could share all of the same information about starting a sustainable journey. So yes, you are gonna hear me fangirl out just a little bit at the beginning of this interview because I was ridiculously excited and very honored to get to interview Natalie Isaacs. Here it is. If you are part of the Starting Sustainability Facebook group, then you've seen many videos and shocking facts by one million women, mostly because I share them all of the time. Natalie Isaacs is the founder and CEO of One Million Women, a global movement of women and girls who take practical action to fight climate change by changing the way they live. She is the Australian Geographic Society's 2017 Conservationist of the Year. Please welcome Natalie Isaacs. Hello, Natalie. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan, which I told you when we first got on the call, but I am super duper honored that you have accepted my invitation to come onto the podcast. And now I get to share you with all the listeners of my podcast as well. And I'm really, really, really excited that you are here. This is amazing for me. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Do you know how I discovered One Million Women? Ah, no, I'd love to know. <laughs> I was scrolling on Facebook one night and this ad came up and it had the little One Million Women symbol in the corner. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool video. So I clicked on it, which then led me to more videos and more videos. So then I just started following One Million Women and they pop up all the time. And then when I created this podcast, I also created a Facebook group for, um, for all of the audience, all the listeners of the podcast, that way I could interact with them. And so I'm constantly sharing all your videos <laughs> and I get a lot of good feedback on them as well. So thank you for doing all of that. That's my pleasure. Yeah, so we actually, the um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we just pushed through a million followers on our Facebook page. So that was that was terrific. Wonderful. It's been a long time. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's your goal, 1 million women. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it's on one platform, like where 1 million women's kind of spread across lots of platforms. It's Facebook and Instagram and our website and our app and some different things that we do. It's very layered. So it's nice to have, yeah, that million on one of, the, on one of our channels. Awesome. Well, I would love to actually get to know you and your story. Can you share what got you started with being sustainable? 
Yes. So, um, okay. So the short story is I used to be a cosmetics manufacturer and I was that for 24 years. So I had this really different life. I, you know, I used to, I had overpackaging, which was not good. I, I was a contributor to the waste and, um, and unsustainable lifestyles. I produced uh, fast fashion brands. So I was really in it, right in that kind of competitive space of churning out products and I had microbeads in some of my products and I know it sounds terrible but I was disengaged on climate change so I just I thought it was someone else's problem to be honest and I thought that I'm just one person so I can't really make a difference anyway and when I was um, in the cosmetics industry it wasn't on my radar apart from being able to sit around the dinner table and talk about it. So I was able to do that and talk about the dire consequences if we don't act. But for me and for a lot of people, there is this deep, you know, there's a deep disconnect from talking about it and then doing something about it. But it all changed uh, a little over a decade ago. And I had this epiphany. And I think it was coming for a while. There were things happening within the year that Al Gore's climate um, uh, inconvenient truth came out, which really, really did set a new scene and a new language and a new way of communicating climate. Um, in Australia here, we had these ferocious bushfires, which were out of season. And when you think about the frequency of that now, but back then it was very out of season. And there were things happening, these touch points, but the thing that actually just changed, sorry, this is this is the short version of the, of the long story, but the thing that actually um, changed me forever was something really simple. I got our household electricity consumption down. That was it. When I saw the bill, like I saw, oh, I just saved all this money and I just saved all this pollution because it was there on the bill. And it, and it was just because I was more vigilant around the house and got the kids to be more aware. And I thought, well, that was easy. I wonder if there's millions of us who did that. That that would have to make a difference. That really was the epiphany. That was that moment that I went, I'm actually really powerful. I'm really powerful and I don't know everything there is to know about climate policy. I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not an activist. I've never marched in the street back then for anything. And yeah, but I got my electricity bill down. Wow. And I did it with, without really being told how to do it. And that was it because I thought that that means that how you live has a real impact. And I saw this immediate result. I did something and there the result was. And so that started the journey. I then went and got our household food waste down and I stopped overconsuming and I, you know, started to think about my place on this planet. And I started to understand my relationship with the earth. And so anyway, so as you do, um, I started a women's movement. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that... <laughs> I, mean, I didn't do it on my own because I had a lot of amazing people help me. But I did think that, you know, that if I could tell my story about what happened to me, someone that was totally disengaged, and I just did the electricity thing around the house, wow, everybody else would want to jump on board and I could get to a million women in six months. And that was really the starting point of One Million Women and the heart of it to really, it's about empowering women. And, and girls to live climate action. But that's where it started with me, the electricity bill.
Wow. Thank you for sharing that. We call that the aha moment. I think everybody has one. You hear little bits and pieces of sustainability, and then one day it just kind of clicks. And you think, wow, this is a big deal, and it is easy, and I can do this. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story on that. And that led you to starting One Million Women. Like, What was that process? Did you just throw out a little sign-up sheet, or like, how'd you get everybody to kind of strengthen up behind you? It was a interesting process because I, I've only done two things in my life. Um, in my working life, I was a cosmetics manufacturer and I started One Million Women. And I don't really know much in between in terms of I've always kind of run my own business. And when I started One Million Women, I, I was surprised how long it took me to get it to launch. Like I thought... Because I always have this kind of time frame of six months because as a cosmetics manufacturer, when I was asked to create a brand, a concept of a brand from conception to product on the shelf was six months. So I just brought that six month kind of, okay, it'll take me six months to get this off the ground. So that was the first surprise because it actually took two and a half years, which makes sense. You know, I was learning as I was going, I'm still learning as I go. Uh, and also I had to convince others to get on board. I had to raise money. Um, we had to create a website. And and then I, I guess the, the early days, the proposition was just come on board. The website shows you how to cut a ton of pollution out of your life in a year. This is a decade ago now, a little over. And the, the conversation about climate change has moved quite rapidly in terms of, you know, the way we talk about it. Back then, um, it was really very much explaining what climate change is all about and explaining how the way we live actually does have an impact. So there was a, a, a different way of talking about climate change, even, you know, just a decade ago. But that was really how we got started in those early days. I didn't really have much of a plan. I didn't know how to create or build a movement. And I think I was telling you earlier that, yes, that we've now reached over a million followers on, on Facebook and, and all those other platforms that, uh, like, we're really growing into this big movement. But I don't think I had the vision or the understanding of how to build a movement. And so I was learning that as I was going in those early days. One thing that has always been part of the heart and soul of One Me and Women that has never stopped is that we are storytellers. We talk from a place of raw honesty. None of us can be perfect on this journey, but we talk about the issues but the solutions. We don't let you stay in a place of despair. We don't let you feel overwhelmed by guilt if you haven't done something. This was an organic approach because it was just the only way I knew how to think was from this place of empowerment because it really was my story. I did something, saw a result, felt amazed by it and powerful. I went to the next thing and then the next thing. And it's the journey of empowerment and it builds your confidence and it helps you find your voice and it helps you influence somebody else because they get embraced in that energy of your confidence. Uh, that was always part of the philosophy or the theory of change for one me and women. 
And so we spend a lot of time working on that. We give you the hard facts, but we give you the solutions on how to act. And it might be something very small or something big, but each thing is about bringing you through that journey of change. I love that about your website and about everything that you do is that you point out, here's the fact that's shocking and here's how to simply solve it. And it's wonderful. Like I have an example here. There was one, it said, if we used refillable coffee pods instead of disposable ones, we would divert 20 billion coffee pods from the landfill each year. So where do these facts come from and who, who does the research to determine them? I'm just curious about that. We're a small charity. So I guess it depends on funding as to how many people are in the team at any one given time. There's, um, there's about eight of us at the moment. We're a team. We are researchers. We're communicators. We have a lot of support from scientific bodies to help us, like in Australia, here the CSIRO or organizations like WWF. Or there's, there's a lot of information that we gather from all different, you know, we have our go-to platforms. And then we turn that into bite-sized, achievable actions to bring people along. We have to manage it on a few levels because One Million Women is a movement of, it's of all ages, of all backgrounds and of all levels. And so you might be joining One Million Women because you just don't know what to do, where to start and where to go. And we're going to bring you along. Or you may be that climate warrior that needs to find the like-minded people that are doing or that you can help. Or And so it's finding those different levels of big lifestyle shifts and right through to the small bite-sized things to pull you along. That's what the team does. We, we really do um, research that and pull it together in the style that we've kind of grown into. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. It's a great style because it's very attention getting. And so it's, yes. and it's, it's quick and to the point. I don't have to watch seven, eight minutes of introduction before I get to the fact it's bam, here's the facts. Here's the solution. And it's done in a short, straight to it manner. I love it because I can learn a lot by scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, we've been around for a decade now and we don't always hit the mark and sometimes where it's hard to keep momentum going all the time. And and I must say it's been very challenging in this last couple of years of navigating COVID. Right now I'm talking to you in my eighth week of lockdown in our third wave here in Sydney and my whole team in Sydney. And so we're all working from home, like everybody is experienced around the world, not that we're any different. It's been a challenging time. And I think that where we're at right now and the IPCC report that just came out yesterday, which was giving the world this wake-up call, it is like code red for humanity. And I don't want to talk dire things, but that this report that came out yesterday is really the wake-up call for the world. And for One Million Women, the last couple of years, we've gone really wide with a lot of things, you know, so much stuff. You can do this and this and this and this and almost to the point where you go, okay, now I'm not sure what to do. And so, you know, sometimes 
sometimes you look at and now we're going to narrow what we do for the next three years to say we want you to do this this and this because this is the decade that counts this is the most decisive decade there is it needs all of us and it needs governments and political leaders to go to the, the climate conference in Glasgow in, you know, like 80 days time or whenever, you know, like in November to go with strong, deep targets for their countries. And then on the other side, it needs grassroots households, individuals, communities to be literally living climate action through everything they're doing and feeling determined and optimistic about it. And so I see that our role as one million women is to really work on that level so that we give you the clear things to do. We make you feel determined. (laughs) (laughs) So joining One Million Women is extremely beneficial. What is the easiest way to join? The best way to join is to go to the website because you join up on the website and we send you newsletters all the time of the campaigns that we've got going on. So the, the website is the best place to join. Stay Can you tell connected. us the website? Oh, the website is the is one million women, which is the number one, and then millionwomen.com.au. So that's the website and that, that's where you join. But you can stay connected through every our social media channels, so our Instagram and our Facebook. And usually if we're doing a good job, the campaigns we've got going on, you'll find them through any of our channels. So we have an app called The Same, One Million Women, the number one million women. And, um, and that isn't a behavior change app. It has all the bite-sized actions that it's a fabulous app. It's got hundreds and hundreds of actions and you get given uh, different actions every day, like about 12 every day and you can choose ones to do. And there's carbon count for all of us um, around the world. There's a news feed and a conversation. So, so the app is a really good tool that, supports our work and then when you're on the website you can find we've got two campaigns running right this moment one is about shifting your money from banks and financial institutions that invest in fossil fuels and how to do that and what to look for and the other one is that we're building a new world and that we want you to pledge to build a new world with us and we send you all the resources and so so there's lots of touch points at the moment and that that's what we're that's what we, so to get on and join up on the website is the, the best place because that's what we're shifting at the moment for this next three years is give you three things or four things and have those across every platform. So can I join if I'm not from Australia? Oh, yeah, like we are a global community. And so we are women uh, from all over the world. In fact, our US community uh, is pretty much as big as our Australian community. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, so we're global and yes, please, like we need as many women on board as possible. So please join and please tell your friends to join. And yes, men can join. (laughs) Yeah, that was my next question. I was like, can men join? (laughs) About 20% of our, I mean, we're a women's movement and the last thing is we are not anti-men. We love men. It is just that we are harnessing the strengths of women, but we need men as well. 
to help harness the strengths of women, to be there side by side. And so we've got about, yeah, 20%, which is a much bigger uh, percentage than, um, than obviously when we started, it was something like 2%. So we have got a lot of men that have joined to support. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, every man has a mom. Most men have a wife or a spouse. They know women, so they can also, I get it. You want men because men have connections to women as well. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Miss Natalie, you have a lot of achievements that I saw on your website. Which one are you most proud of? I know this is going to sound, you know, a bit cliched maybe. I honestly think the one that I'm most proud of is the community of One Million Women. And when someone comes up to me, it's hard when you're in lockdown because that physical connection is not there. I'm always just overwhelmed when someone comes up to me and just goes, thank you, you've changed my life. Or because of One Million Women, I've done this. Or thank you for just giving me this community. That is what I'm most proud of because for me, if we have changed one person's life, they've gone from inaction right through to using their vote and their voice, right through living with the least impact on the planet and really have changed their life. I feel like we've done our job. And so I am most proud of that. And I think that the first thing that I was most proud of was as part of that or as an endorsement of that was when we won um, we won a United Nations Award very early on in, in 2013. And for me, we went to the big United Nations conference that happens every year. And um, we were guests of the UN in that year. We went to Warsaw. That It was this lighthouse award for the planet. That was the first time that I felt yet yeah, overwhelmed with happiness because I thought we are really being recognised for the work that we're doing. I, I think that was our first big, really big achievement. And then also when I'm, you know, writing the book, um, because I'm, I'm writing a second book at the moment, which is really lovely. My book is, is really like my memoir of how I went from inaction to starting a movement and then, and then a whole toolkit in the back of how to live. And uh, so that was a really nice thing to have that. So, yeah, there's a few things along the way that I feel so proud of. I really genuinely mean it, that the, the thing that I'm most proud of is the community of one million women. Wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart because you were part of the motivation to do a podcast. I was like, man, she can start a whole movement. I can surely figure out a podcast, which was a challenge, <laughs> but I did figure it out <laughs> because I wanted to figure out how can I help spread the word. And I was always on the move. I I'm a mom of two. We're planning on more children in the future. And so I was always on the go. And I was like, I've got time to listen to podcasts on my drive to work and back. That's all I've got time for. And when I was trying to figure out how to become more sustainable, there really weren't great podcasts that I could find. So I was like, I'm going to tell people what I want to know because I did all the work to figure it out. So let me share it with them. So thank you because 
of your actions in putting 1 million women together that helped inspired me. And I hope that I'm inspiring other people and you're going to continue to inspire millions of other people. And it's a really wonderful sense of community. It's like we have two separate communities, but I like this podcast, this episode hopefully bridges them. That's the goal. I think it'd be fantastic. That would be so wonderful. And the thing is, we are all aiming for the same end goal. And it's not an end goal, but, you know, we're all on the same journey. That's key. Yes. So let's go back to your book. So the title of your book is Every Woman's Guide to Saving the Planet. What is your favorite story from your book? Can you give us a good little teaser? Yes. In one of the chapters is all about the love of Earth. And it's about my discovery with that. And this was before I got the point on climate change. I thought that I was the earth mama. I loved swimming in the ocean. I loved walking through a rainforest and feeling the mulch between my toes and the sweet smell of a cool breeze inside microclimate of a rainforest, um, which, which there's so many beautiful rainforests. I really thought I was that person, that earth mother. And then I, when I started One Mean Women, I realized that my relationship with the earth was completely one-sided. And I never realized, I never took the time to understand that. I loved what the earth gave me, but I never gave back. You know, if I loved the rainforest, what about the mountains of waste in my house and the food waste in my bin and the fast fashion that I was getting and didn't care if I spilt something on it because it was only five bucks, I'll just chuck it in the bin. I didn't care enough about that rainforest to worry about my waste or the ocean if I cared so much about that relationship with the ocean, what about all the single waste, you know, single-use plastic that I would buy something, chuck it in the bin? Or even as a cosmetics manufacturer, some of my products, my fast fashion brands had four or five layers of plastic, um, had microbeads in them. All of it ends up in the ocean. And I think that that was a really beautiful realisation what is your relationship with the earth? Is it reciprocal? Do you take from the earth and you don't give back? And I think the first step to living sustainably, to fighting for this planet, the first step is understanding your relationship with earth. Because when you love the earth, and I mean really love it, love it like you love your family, like you love your friends, like really love it, a real relationship with the earth, you want to fight for it because you fight for what you love. And so when you think about the way that you live, and it is hard sometimes to change how you live because we're doing it within the structured framework of our high consumption society. And so when you think about the way that you live and how do you get yourself outside of that, how do you buck the system? How do you stop being seduced by the incredible advertising that is hitting you from every place, from billboards and everywhere you look, you're being bombarded with, you know, advertising to buy this better thing to look like that. This shiny thing will help you, you know, this sparkly thing will make you feel good. And how do we rise above that? And when you love earth, really love it, it's the core that helps you change every other aspect of how you live. And so 
I love that chapter in the book because it helps us really question our relationship. But also in the back of the book, there's all these toolkits, how to reduce food waste and how to have less plastic and how to compost and how to look for what are the warning signs or the alarm bells when it comes to fast fashion? What's the materials that we need to to look out for? How do you reduce your household energy? And so all those things are these toolkits in the back of the book. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's wonderful. That is a very good teaser. You are the CEO and founder of One Million Women, and you are all knowing you have so much knowledge that you even wrote a book. You have all these toolkits, but I have to ask the tough question. What is an area that you struggle with when it comes to being sustainable? Or or are you perfect? Because maybe you are. I don't know. I am not perfect. And I think that's a really important thing to know that we none of us are perfect. I'm a lot better than I used to be. And I do think now, after 10 years of One Million Women, I'm really getting there. A few things. In the early days of of One Million Women, the low-hanging fruit for me was getting my food waste down, getting our household energy down, taking a breath before I bought something and asking myself, did I really want it? Buying secondhand as much as I can not um, indulging in fast fashion at all and buying things that I know has a a long shelf life or something I can do with it after I finish. All those things were actually within my reach. I felt they were easy things because they enhanced my way of life. Some of the harder things back at the beginning, which took me a while to tackle, was um, transport, public transport. We live in a beach suburb on the northern beaches of Sydney and the only way out is by bus, which is fine, but the, and there's a bus stop just at the end of my street and across the road. Like, And I've got three bus stops very close by that take us all the way from where I am into the city. So there is no excuse not to have caught a bus, but I never did. It was so inconvenient for me to think about bus timetables and how to get from A to B with the least impact on the planet when I can just jump in the car. And at the time, I did have a very big gas guzzling car. So I found that a struggle where I, and and at the time I thought, I'm doing everything else. I can just, the transport thing can be okay. But What happened was enough was enough with transport. And I found that once I started to think about public transport as my first choice, can I jump on a bus? It is only minutes away to the bus stop. Can I just be a little bit more organized? And once that became part of my thinking, I think this is the really lovely thing about changing the way you live. When it becomes part of who you are, as opposed to an adjunct to what you do, And so once I started to think about public transport as the first choice, it just became part of who I was. And I drove my car like 80% less than what I I used to. And now I have an electric, 100% electric vehicle. And I know that's not accessible to everybody, but I am living the dream with that right now because I have solar panels on the roof that charge my electric vehicle and I have nailed that one but it was a very big struggle in those early days when you think about a country like Australia and indeed the US like people live remotely and regional communities just don't have that access to public transport yeah that's where I'm at 
we don't have any public transport here and I've got two little kids. So to just take an Uber also doesn't work because now I got to haul car seats everywhere and Uber's not cheap. <laughs> You've got to do what is accessible to you. But I do believe that um, electric vehicles are coming down in price and the infrastructure is getting better and they're, you know, secondhand EVs. And I think that the electric vehicle story is the story of the future when it comes to transport and that it will be much more accessible to you. You know, when we started One Million Women, you know, solar was very expensive and it was hard to get solar. And now in Australia, there's a rooftop revolution going on with, with solar and it's so much cheaper and accessible. I think the other big one that was hard for me until I did it was shifting my money. Thinking about banks and financial institutions, it does go to the bottom of the pile because we think it's very hard to do. And, you know, because we have to do some research into our banks and our super funds, and I don't know the equivalent in the US, but like pension funds, and and to make absolutely sure that who we're with aligns with our values. It was three or four years in with One Me When before I even thought about, I wonder where my bank is investing. And, and both my bank and super fund were investing in fossil fuels. And here I was running One Million Women, and we hadn't really tackled that as an issue. So we've been doing a lot of work on, on that one. Um, and so to kind of answer your question in a roundabout way, there have been moments throughout my journey with One Million Women where there have been big things that I took longer than expected as the founder of One Million Women in like in my own timetable, there were there were some big challenging lifestyle shifts that I hadn't tackled. And one was transport and the other one was money. You're doing fantastic. The last question is, what is some advice that you have found to be tried and true when it comes to being sustainable? If you are starting on your journey with this, do not try to do everything all at once because it is hard. But every small step that you see a reward propels you to the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And I know that. I know that personally because that is how I changed the way I lived. And I witness that every single day at One Million Women because that's the, our theory of change. That is perfect. Even if you're messing up on those little steps, a whole bunch of little steps still gets you to the end goal of making a difference. Very beautifully said. If listeners have additional questions that maybe I didn't think of, what's the best way for them to reach out and ask you those questions? So you can go either on our Facebook, which is, and just go to Facebook Messenger and say, I was listening to the podcast and here's my question and I can, I can answer it there. You can send it to our inquiries email and inquiries at one million women, which is the number one millionwomen.com.au. Um, and say the same thing. I was listening to the podcast and here's my question for Nat. And yeah, I think those two or Instagram, go to Instagram and message saying the same thing or to my personal Instagram page, which is Natalie Isaacs, then the one MW. Um, and you can message me there. Wonderful. Yeah. Good, good. Do you have time for a quick game? Let's go for it. All right. So this game, I put it together because even though we both speak English, we are from two separate countries and therefore there are two different cultures. So I'm going to give you a word 
that is in both countries, but they have different meetings. So you'll know it as the Australian meaning. And I want you to try to guess what it is for the American meaning. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So the first word is bathers. Okay. So bathers, you mean that for us? Yeah. So for Australia, (laughs) that would be what? Well, swimmers. Yeah. Like (laughs) togs. So in the U.S., do you know what we call bathers in the U.S.? We call them swimsuits. We say the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that was a good warm up. Okay, so we'll do it. So that was like a good example warm up. Okay, so here's the next word a bonnet. What is a bonnet in Australian? And what do you think it is in American English? Well, a bonnet can be two things a bonnet can be the bonnet of a car or a little bonnet that you put on your head. Yes, there you go. Yes, the bonnet of the car. Is that the, is that the hood or is that the, yeah, yeah that's the front, the hood. The hood. Okay, yeah. Okay. Here, a bonnet is a, a hat. <laughs> You're doing awesome. How about a boot? A boot. Well, a boot is the boot of the car, which is uh, <laughs> the back end of the car, which is a boot, or it's a boot that you put on your foot. There we go. And here we call it the boot of the car, uh, the trunk. <laughs> okay. So the next one is a Barbie. A Barbie. A barbecue. <laughs> what do you think it is here? <laughs> a doll. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look at you. You're doing awesome. Barbie doll. I saw this one. Lippy. Oh, lipstick. Yeah. Do you know what That's we call yeah. lippy over here? Oh, but maybe you call lippy means you're being a bit, um, you know, a bit not rude, but you're being a bit lippy. Yeah. Yeah. You got like a little bit of an attitude about you. <laughs> you're doing fantastic. What is a swag? Oh, a swag is um, that when you go camping, it's your swag that you put down and it's not like a tent, but it's your swag that you sleep in. Okay. So it's- Kind of like a sleeping bag. That's what we would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sleeping bag. Yeah. Do you know what we call swag over here in the U.S.? Swag over there. Is it, I don't know, is it something that you put over your shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll go with that. It's like a, a sense of style, like to have swag. Oh, swag. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the last one would be Sunday session. Oh, Sunday session. A Sunday session. Oh, a Sunday session would be down at the pub. Yeah. <laughs> a Sunday session would be going to the pub for a Sunday session. I'm going to tell you a funny story. I did a study abroad to Australia my last year of college. And I had been there maybe five, six days. And, the, and I was invited to go to Sunday session. And I was like, oh, okay. So I put on my good dress and my good shoes. And I got my Bible because I thought we were going to church. That's Sunday session. And I get there and it's a pub on the beach and everybody's drinking. I was like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Natalie. You've been fantastic. I know you have to get running to your next meeting, but I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day and doing this interview with me and telling us all about your adventures over in Australia and putting together One Million Women is a fantastic company. And I admire you. I admire your company and keep those videos coming because they're excellent at giving us ideas on what else we can do to incorporate sustainability into our lifestyles. You rock. So keep up the good work. 
Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. And um, we just got to all stay on the journey. Yes, yes, I agree. (laughs) All right, I'll let you jet off now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you again, Natalie. It was a pleasure. It was an honor. I am so thrilled that you took the time out of your busy day to come onto my podcast and share your life experiences and your journey through sustainability and creating such a powerful women's movement. Thank you. Thank you. That is the end of the episode, which means it is time for the weekly challenge. So let me open up my tin here and draw a card. And it says... Invest in a solar phone charger for a sustainable way to charge your phone. Huh. You know, I did know solar phone chargers existed. I guess I've really only ever seen them like in camping stores in the camping section. So therefore that was my thought process. I would use that when I go camping. When I don't have a wall plug in for my charger. But yeah, you could totally use a solar phone charger every day. (laughs) So kind of embarrassed I never put that together before. There you go. There you have it. That is your challenge for the week. Find a solar phone charger and start using it. And I'd also like to point out that we are getting close enough to Christmas season that you could just put that on your Christmas list if you don't want to go out and buy it because I'm frugal and cheap. So I like it when other people buy me things so I get to keep the money that I worked really hard for. Next week. Oh, next week is episode 100. Oh, I'm so excited. And we have a super fun trivia episode just for you. And yes, you can play along at home and see how you do. And we have three contestants, Tori, Margo, and Amanda, who came to play. Please listen in next week and see who has the most sustainable knowledge of them all. That is all for now. Have a wonderful rest of your week and continue to save the world. Bye. Welcome to the Realistic Sustainability Podcast, a guide to greening your life. Each week, we will explore sustainability concepts and what we can do to reduce our family's carbon footprint while growing our positive footprint. This show supports step-by-step progress without those extreme jump-all-in measures. So join us on Anchor or your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today.